Hey fans, this is Todd Likes, public address announcer for the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to Mike Up Pod. My favorite story for me about Vince Scully is my very first day. I show up, and, and there's Vin. First person I run into, I walk into the press box, and boom, I almost bump right into Vin. I say, oh, uh, Mr. Scully, I'm, I'm Todd Likes. And he's like, I know who you are, Todd Likes. You're an NBA announcer. Great to meet you. Gosh. And I'm like, whoa, um, uh, if you have any tips, no, not at all. You got this. And, and, and just went on his way. Episode 55, Todd Lights, the voice of Dodger Stadium, the public address announcer of Dodger Stadium, Todd Lights. What a guy. Most of our episodes are kind of deep and, you know, we're learning a lot about these episodes and people who are coming on, but I wanted a fun one, kind of a relaxed one, and this is what it kind of gave us. Todd Lights is a very fun interview. He's a very fun guy. And so, uh, I, you know, I asked them obviously about his journey, as all of you know how much I enjoy journeys. Uh, and of course, he was there with the latter part of Vin Scully. So how was that working with Vin or kind of around Vin Scully at least? And something that a lot of people don't realize, bathroom breaks. These guys don't get bathroom breaks. He's got great stories about him not being able to go to the bathroom or the time he called Joe Davis onto the mound. You'll you'll find out why. And something I've always wondered, do broadcasters drink in the booth? We didn't hold back on this one. We had a lot of fun on episode 55. And a very, very, very special treat at the end of this episode for me. I hope you enjoy it. Episode 55, Dodger PA announcer Todd Lights. Here we go. Hey, um, it's Todd Lights, public address announcer for the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. Great to be with you today. So, <laughs> How great does that feel? Oh, to be able to say world champion? Yeah, that was like the first thing I thought of too. Like imagine all the sales reps and the customer service people inside and like world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. How can I help you? Uh, it feels it feels really good. And I, you know, it's, it's not always in my PA script, but I throw it in there. Like, you know, now taking the field, your world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't say that before games, huh? It just hit me. I do sometimes. And uh, you were at the game the other night. Uh, I must have thrown three or four world champions in there. <laughs> but, you know, maybe it's just become so, it just sounds so right that you don't even notice it anymore. Dude, you got to take advantage of it too, though, right? Like this doesn't come around very often. It's like when it when it is, you got to just milk it. We're milking it. It's up on our Dodger vision boards before the game, world champions, world series champions. Because you are the champs until someone dethrones you. You know, that could happen this year. I hope not. I hope we can I can repeat. But uh, chances are that it, that's a difficult road to repeat as World Series champion. It hasn't happened very often. And so for now, we're, we are the world champs until someone can knock us off the top of the mound. Hey, at what point in your life did you hit puberty and say, oh, shit, I might have a chance to uh, do some voiceover work and, uh, and possibly be a public address announcer for the Dodgers? Never, never thought of it. But when I was when I was thirteen, I moved to California and uh, from from New England. And I remember I was the new kid in school, so they they called my name, uh, Todd Leitz. I'm like uh, lights here, and I guess my voice had changed over the summer, maybe even before that. And all the girls started to titter, you know. <laughs> and I was wondering what what's going on. You know, what, why are they uh, are they laughing at me because they think I sound funny or that I'm the new guy or whatever? And that's when I kind of realized that my voice was a little different than most other people, I guess. You know, most other guys my age. Or, and then over the years, it's um, it's gotten even deeper. And and so I, I think that moment was the first time I realized that it was it was enough to make girls giggle. So. That was not a bad thing, really. And, and hey, man, if it's going to make them giggle, worst case, you go on those 800 numbers, right? And just like sit in your couch, have eat some Doritos and be like, hey, how you doing? This is Todd. What are you wearing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I initially, you know, got interested in acting when I was in high school. One of my English teachers said, hey, we do this Shakespeare on stage class. And I really love the way you read aloud. 
in class. And I think you'd really be a good actor if you wanted to try um, doing some Shakespeare and stuff. And so I was like, I like Shakespeare. That's cool. So I started doing that. And I really got into it. And then I started to do stage acting and, you know, Broadway type musicals and stuff like that uh, from very classic type of acting to very, you know, Broadway guys and dolls and things like that. Grease I was in in college. And I I wanted to be an actor because I loved playing different parts, playing different eras, uh, the costumes. I loved I loved singing. And um, that's why I came to Los Angeles. I was working as an actor and uh, I did pretty well. You know, I did commercials. I did you know, miniseries, TV shows, movies, uh, nothing real big. So that's that was my initial, I guess, calling, I suppose. And that was a lot of fun. So but but as far as being a PA announcer, never really even crossed my mind. Being a play by play guy, it did cross my mind because my brothers and I would play wiffle ball or any mm-hmm. sport that we played. And we were always commentating on it. We were always doing, you know, now bring up lights, the pitcher, he's you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we, we would we would do our whole play by play spiel as we were playing wiffle ball. And that was always fun. So I thought about that, but never thought about being a PA announcer. I, I didn't. I wasn't really even aware of it uh, until much later in life. So any schooling for it? No, no. Um, I guess you know if you if you. I guess the schooling that I did for being a PA announcer was working in radio for twenty years. Uh, I was a radio newscaster and a, a street reporter for for KNX ten seventy for for ten years through some pretty heavy-duty stuff, through the Northridge earthquake, through the L.A. riots, through every, every fire that you can imagine during, during that period from, from the early 90s into the, the early 2000s. So being, being an announcer on the radio really was my education on how to, how to be live, how to, how to read live, how to, how to be smooth, how to put your, put your words together and so forth, although I'm not doing it very well today, but it's early, so you <laughs> forgive me. So, but by the time I got to the point where I tried out to be a PA announcer, I already knew, you know, my radio people have a certain, there's a certain uh, skill that you have of being able to translate what's on a written page and have it come out of your mouth in a comprehensible way. So that skill is is very intrinsic, I think, to being a PA announcer, because, you know, sometimes you're ad-libbing as a PA announcer, sometimes you're reading and, you know, Say, fans, be sure to join us for blah, 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 you know, and, and doing that kind of stuff. You are also ad-libbing during the game, like so-and-so is being intentionally walked, bringing up the catcher, number 27, you know, whoever. So so just just having that skill is, is very key to being a PA announcer. But as far as, as any schooling, no, not really. But I did, uh, I did audition for the San Diego Padres PA job when they had a open call back in 2014 for a PA announcer for the 10 and their 10th anniversary of Petco Park. And so I went, I told my wife, I got to try for this. I'd never done anything like it before or any PA work before. So I, I got, let me give this a try. This, this sounds kind of fun. So I went down there and, and stood out in line in front of the uh, ballpark line wrapped all the way around Petco Park. Thousands of people came out to have an opportunity to go into the stadium, read a quick thing. And, you know, that's, that was it. And then they whittled it down from thousands to a hundred to fifty to top twenty to top ten. I made the top three, and then I was I turned out to be number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they gave the job to the guy that does it now, and who's been doing it ever since. But but during that process, it wasn't just a one day thing. It was a four month process. It started in January, and they they announced it during the seventh inning of a game. I think on April nineteenth of that year, April twentieth or something. And three finalists were all there calling like two or three innings and then they announced in the seventh inning that it was going to be the guy that got the job and i was kind of disappointed because i'd really gone through a lot to do it going back and forth to san diego doing a lot of social media to you know because they had this huge social media component but i also did the job i also called several major league ball games including opening day against the, the dodgers for the padres and so i knew what i was doing by that point so I'm always going to be grateful to the Padres for giving me the chance to learn what it was like to be a PA announcer at that level and for Major League Baseball. Even though I didn't get the job, I got the experience. And so when the Dodger job came up, I heard about it. And one of my friends on social media said, oh, man, you try it out for the Padres. You might be interested in, in uh, you know, filling in for the Dodgers occasionally. And that's how it was put to me. And I, I called him immediately and I said, hey, I'm your guy. I've got experience. I'm I'm ready to go. And they and uh, they said, oh well, could you come in and call a few innings of, of the college baseball classic that we do every year? 
you know, the top college teams come to Dodger Stadium to play a little, uh, play a little doubleheader. And so that was like four days after I contacted him. And so my chance was right there and I seized it and ended up getting the job. There was, you know, quite a bit of back and forth and negotiations and stuff like that. But I guess I showed them that I, I was the sound that they were looking for to replace the guy that they used to have. And it just, it was like one door closed and then another door opened uh, because I was ready for the opportunity. It's that being in the right place at the right time, seizing your opportunity, but also being ready for it. And so I'm so, I'm so grateful that I had the chance and I'm so grateful that I listened to my heart and jumped on the opportunity to, uh, to do what I now realize is something that I really, really love doing. I think you're from Boston, right? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in the Boston area. So you escaped the East Coast and came to, where'd you go to college? you go to college out here in Southern California? Yeah, I went to uh, University of California, San Diego, down in La Jolla, which was a pretty nice experience down there. But yeah, well, leaving the East Coast, I was pretty young, so I didn't have to deal with, you know, commuting to work and, and horrible weather or anything like that. You know, when it snowed, we lived in this beautiful little colonial coastal town that used to build ships back in back in the 17th century. Lived in a house that was 250 years old. And so it didn't snow a whole lot down there by the ocean. But when it did, we had a snow day. You know, it wasn't like I had to slog to work through through sleet and hail and and uh, and commute and scrape my, use my credit card to scrape the ice off my windshield or anything like that. But to me, it was just, oh, it's snowing. It's fun. It's like, you know, I, li- I like the weather. But uh, we were very excited to move to California when we did because it was like, hey, California, here I come. You know, it's all sun-kissed commercials, beaches and girls and, you know, all that stuff. And so we were very excited to, to move out here. But we moved to the Bay Area, which is which is a whole different vibe than, than down here in Southern Cal. Oh, man. Um, Sorry to hear that rains more and yeah but you know i like the bay area it was beautiful we lived in in uh in marin county tiburon right across the golden gate bridge from san francisco and it was it was idyllic it was gorgeous and i liked it but i never felt it was home i never was a giant fan uh, even though all my friends were giants fans we would go over to oakland uh to see games because it was just so much more pleasant over there than it was in at candlestick candlestick was just a cold foggy wet hole i hated it i hated it it actually broke my heart uh, i i was there one day with some friends watching a game against the pirates and i looked down in one of the uh, the bullpen areas because they kind of had them down the, the baselines at that time and uh dave parker who was a big slugger for the pirates big star slugger big giant dude he and willie stargell were their two big hitters anyway um dave parker was smoking a cigarette in the in the bullpen and I, it just, it just destroyed every image of the baseball player that I had. I realized that he was just a guy, you know, and and uh, it really, it really hurt me. Yeah, he, he, he can hit a so ninety-five much. mile per hour fastball, but hey, I can smoke a cigarette too. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't believe that an athlete of yeah. that caliber would be would be smoking out like that in public too, where people could see him. But you know, it was a different time. That, Good was, old that days. was like late seventies. Yeah, man. Yeah, was, Good old days. So the rooting for the Dodger thing, when did that come? When you got the gig? Um, no, it came as I as I lived in Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles in 85. I moved in with my now wife. Uh, we, we came up from San Diego together, and, and she was born and raised here. And so we moved into a little apartment in West Hollywood in, in, in 1985 and been together ever since, 33 years of marriage. Nice. Um, Congrats. And uh, thank you. And uh, so I just kind of slowly became a, a Dodger fan through that it wasn't easy to be a dodger fan in the 90s because uh just the the whole fox thing and the whole mccord thing and it just they they were not easy to root for back then but i still because they were my team i could go to dodger games my first dodger game i went with my father-in-law who was an agent for william morris he represented carl reiner and uh so carl gave him his seats carl was a huge dodger fan and he gave my father-in-law his seats behind home plate so my first game was in the sweetest seats you can get you know i I have i have a pretty good seat at dodger stadium now up in the press box but those were pretty nice to sit there and watch the pitcher throw 90 mile an hour plus right behind the plate so that was really cool and so i was like wow this place is beautiful i love this place and then as a reporter throughout the 90s and into the 2000s 
I would go to Dodger Stadium to cover things like, you know, when they would introduce somebody like Manny Ramirez signing a contract with the Dodgers or reporting on the story of uh, how they stopped allowing alcohol into the parking lots. No more, no, no more tailgating, you know, stuff like that. So I would cover that. And then later I was an EMT. Uh, I got laid off from my radio job and I couldn't find another radio job after, you know, the, the during the, the, the recession or the Great Recession or whatever of 2008. And I became an EMT an emergency medical tech and I was doing medical standbys at Dodger stadium. So I would, I'd be like one of those guys you see, you know, in the concourses with their gurneys and their, their gear, just in case somebody has a heart attack or gets hit by a foul ball or whatever happens or gets in a fight, which we used to do a lot of, of drunk people, a lot of fighting people. And, uh, I think I think one guy even I wasn't on duty that day, but a guy who was throwing out a first pitch died right on the field. One Jesus. day came down and had a massive coronary and, and and died right. They took him off the field and tried to revive him up in the in the medical area and, and were unable to. So I was like, wow. I guess I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that I wasn't there for that. But as an EMT, that's the kind of stuff that you want to take part in because you're you're trained to to help people and save lives and stuff. And so, you know, you want that, but then you kind of don't want it. You know what I mean? It's like, because uh, you don't want to see anybody die or suffer like that, especially at Dodger Stadium. And then uh, it's also singing the anthem there twice a year. So between like 07 and I don't know, 12 or 13, I would sing the anthem twice a season at Dodger Stadium. And at that time, they also did God Bless America during the seventh inning. So I would go there, I'd sing the anthem, and then I'd hang around at the ballpark and then sing god bless america down on the field which was always even better because the place was packed by that early in the game not so many people in the stands but by the seventh inning man on, on father's day you're standing down there on a day beautiful sunday day game on father's day and the crowd is just going crazy it's just, it, it was that's probably one of my greatest memory memories of uh, performing anywhere really is is standing there on the field at Dodger Stadium looking up at the at the beautiful ballpark filled with cheering fans and singing God Bless America and then having you know having being introduced by the PA announcer at the time Eric Smith who said and Todd is is here with his his two daughters Sarah and Emily and his wife Tina and he's now performing God Bless America whatever that was a, that was a pretty cool moment for me so I had this like history with the Dodgers and Dodger Stadium and I you know it's just part of my life so that's why this also seemed so right it just seemed like well geez you've done everything else there except for for play you know you might as well work for them so I feel very very blessed to be a part of the Dodger organization and to uh, and to do get to do what I do it's a lot of fun and it's a job it's it has its moments of being very difficult and stressful and and um you know it's not always fun when the dodgers are losing or something like that because i care i care about the the game i care about how the dodgers do you know in, in some ways as if the dodgers do well i do well you know i've always dreamed about getting a world series championship ring and i knew that there was a chance that i would get one if the dodgers won the world series so that so there was that whole kind of feeling and we got so close so many times and had it snatched out of our hands or fell apart at the last minute so i've, I've watched teams like the astros and the red sox celebrate world titles on on our field and i look forward to the day when the dodgers get to celebrate their world championship or another world championship but at dodger stadium in front of our great fans that would be the next thing that i would say would be something to look forward to would be watching them raise that trophy on the field at dodger stadium that would be wonderful. You know, Todd, that's the thing, too. It's like, I know you're a passionate guy, and at the end of the day, you're a Dodger fan like us, but you're up, you're up in the booth announcing names. How many times have you been sitting there, and let's say they blow a lead in the ninth, how many times do you want to sit there and be like, God, I really don't want to announce this next guy? Oh, man. It's, it, I, I remember the, the worst was uh, Howie Kendrick, who used to be a Dodger and, and an Angel. Great guy. Really good dude. He hit a grand slam off the of Kershaw, I believe, in the fifth game of the division series against Washington. I think it was, Joe, Washington I think it was Joe Kelly, no? Wasn't he going to come out of the pen? I think it was Joe Kelly that day. I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it was... Well, I'm, I kind of feel like it was Kershaw coming in in relief. Mm. We can have the fact checkers check that. But anyway, he hit a grand slam near the end of the game. It was, you know, eighth inning. And it was the deciding game of the, the series. And it, I literally was... I, I got kicked in the gut. It was literally, I was bent over. I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. I couldn't believe that that was the way it was going to end for the Dodgers that year after the amazing season they had and how dominant they were and how good they were. 
how loaded they were with talent that they could get knocked out uh, of the first round by a team like Washington that just barely got into the tournament to begin with. And then to be, you know, to be pummeled by a guy that n- nobody expected, you know, he, they kind of figured, oh, how he's on his last legs. He's, you know, he's just playing out the string. And, and he was the guy that came in and, and murdered us. Um, and so that was so difficult. And yes, that, that was one of those times where I had to physically summon all of my strength to kind of, you know, just to stay professional and uh, do, do what I had to do. Because, you know, the PA announcer often says things like, you know, the Dodgers would like to uh, congratulate the Washington Nationals on yeah. their division and wish them best of luck in the upcoming series of blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, here you are just, you know, living and dying on every pitch with the Dodgers and having to glad hand the, the team that just tore your heart out. So that, that's that's where, you know, that's where the professionalism has to come in and you, you realize you're just doing a job and, 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 and so forth. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to be passionate. And it's hard for me not to like really pay attention to what's going on in Dodger world. I mean, I really I pay as much attention as, as somebody like um, David Vasse, who's kind of the Dodger insider on AM570 LA Sports. Or, you know, or Joe and Oral who call the games, Charlie and Rick. I, I kind of pay attention to all that stuff. Who's doing well? Who's hurt? Who's scuffling right now? And, and so forth. So there, there's a lot that goes into it that I probably don't have to, to worry about. I could just show up and call the game. But it's much more fun for me to be passionate about it and really care than to just treat it as if, you know, it doesn't matter to me. As if I'm just, you know, hey, I'm not part of the game. But I am because I'm, I'm an official part of the Major League Baseball game. Me, the umpires... And the official score are three elements of a major league baseball game that have to be there in order for it to be considered official. So, you know, there's things that I do during the game, bringing in batters that, that make make it official that they're that they've actually appeared. So I take that that responsibility seriously. And I, you know, I feel like I have a responsibility to the fans, too, because they're sometimes they're wondering what the hell's going on. Why aren't we playing? Why, why are they talking? What are they talking about? And in some ways, I'm, I'm expected to explain to the fans what the challenge is. You know, the Dodgers are challenging to call at first base that the batter runner was out or whatever it is. And sometimes the, the challenges are very arcane. So it's, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to know what it is. That's where knowledge of baseball and, and, and all that comes in. Um, I don't think I'd feel as comfortable being a PA announcer for the Lakers or the Clippers because I basketball is not as much my game as baseball is. Baseball is kind of in my blood. I've been playing baseball all my life. I still play baseball. So I, I feel that responsibility of being, you know, an official part of the game. And I and I take that responsibility seriously. Have you ever forgot to announce a name? Like it's a blowout game and you're, you know, kind of sleeping at the wheel a little bit. And you're like, oh, shit, I, I almost forgot to announce his name. Sometimes like the other night, uh, you were at the game when the Dodgers scored 11 runs in the first inning. And uh, after that, it was just like, let's get this game over with. And so, that you know, that the teams can travel because uh, and get some get some sleep yeah sometimes those games are those are, are are tough and then you know i've been i've been working sick i've been working injured uh, i've been working uh, uncomfortable and, and sometimes you know i'm human i'll make mistakes <laughs> i've made a couple mistakes that were that were pretty pretty legendary the worst one i think i ever made and i don't even, i don't even know if i should bring it up because we have a rule in live in live event live broadcast it's like if you make a mistake you don't come back and draw attention to your mistake you just keep going you know what i'm saying so but the worst mistake is just just so you know i'm, I'm you know uh, i'm honest with you mm-hmm. is that uh <laughs> it was late in the game one time and and joe kelly was coming in to pitch and joe kelly was having so much trouble i think it was his first season with the dodgers and he just every time he'd come in he would some, find some way to screw it up mm-hmm. and i'm not sure how much how much salty language i can use on your podcast but go for it he would find he would find some way to fuck it up, and um, and it was always something bizarre. He, like he couldn't throw a strike, or somebody would get some weird hit off him, or something or, or, weird. Or throw and, it in the fifteenth row. Yeah, exactly. So he was coming in. He was, he was running into the field. It was late in the game, and for some reason, I heard Joe Davis's name. The you know, it's like, hey, it's Oral Hershey and Joe Davis. And I said, now pitching for the Dodgers, <laughs> Joe Davis instead of Joe Kelly. And Twitter went no. crazy. And, and even even the guy that does stats for for the broadcast tweeted it out like things are getting weird here, <laughs> you know. The announcer just introduced Joe Davis as the relief pitcher, and which which pissed me off at the time. I recall I remember being mad at that guy. I was like, dude, thanks a lot, man. I thought we were on the same team. And uh, is that guy anyway, still around? 
I think he is. Yeah, he is. He's still around. So I remember being angry about that. But then, and then on Dodger Talk after the game on on AM five seventy, somebody brought it up and said, "Hey man, you Todd likes called Joe Kelly, Joe Davis, and, and David Vassay. And I'll always, I'll always love him for this. He's like, dude, shut up, man. I mean, he, he, you know, Todd's, you know, he said all this nice stuff about me. Even saw talked about my beard. He said, "Oh yeah, plus he's got the best beard in baseball." Or something. You know, that's the thing, and, Todd, about your job is nobody's going to talk about you until you make a mistake. You know what I mean? It's 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 like an offensive lineman, right? Offensive linemen get no credit whatsoever any any time anywhere until they give up a sack. It's you're, you're kind of in the same boat, man. It sucks. You do such a great job, but nobody talks about the great job. Nobody's going to call Dodger talk and say, "Man, that Todd Lights guy, that that PA guy, the Dodgers have. He is good." Until you make a, a mistake like this, right? Yeah, it's true. But you know what? I, I feel like I get a lot of love on Twitter and stuff, and you know, we all have egos, like, and so we wanted we want to know that we're doing a good job. And, yeah. And so I get I get a lot of people, a lot of fans will who say cool things and just, just they enjoy the fact that I'm I'm there and that, that it makes them feel like they're at Dodger Stadium and all that stuff. And so, but you're right, it's it's it is kind of a job where you're you know you're just a voice in the stadium and you're an official part of the game. I'm not like out there telling jokes or or trying to be funny or it's a different role than say the DJ. Who's, who can use his creativity and his skills to, to play songs that get the crowds going and, and get people dancing and having a good time, even if the Dodgers are losing. And we take a lot of pride in that. Uh, me, uh, my producer, DJ Severe, who's a fantastic DJ and a wonderful, wonderful guy. And Dieter Rule, who's an incredibly talented and savant-like uh, musician and, and also a wonderful guy. We take a lot of pride in, in what we do up there and how we're able to make it a fun experience at Dodger Stadium, win, lose, or draw. And I guess there's no draw in baseball, but we really work together. We really think a lot about what we're what we're trying to do. And Dieter and, and Severe put a lot of creativity into what they do. And we work off each other. You know, we have a certain rhythm. I, I kind of know what Dieter's going to play between batters, so I'm able to, boom, jump right in right after he finishes a little little ditty or something and then the, the music comes in or, and i know i work with the dj to announce justin turner just so it gets to the point where you get in his walk-up song where it's turned down for what so there's a rhythm there there's a familiarity we've been working together for many seasons now and we're very tight and we used to be tighter I, they moved me out into the press box this past season for covid distancing there were no reporters allowed at dodger stadium all last year and so it was just just basically me and my producer and somebody making crowd noise out in the uh, press box, and they kept me out there. So now I'm sitting right next to Bill Plaschke and Bill Shaken from the LA Times and Bill Plunkett from, from the OC Register and Jorge Castillo from the LA Times. I'm sitting right next to these, you know, hard-bitten <laughs> sport writer, sports writer, beat, beat reporters for the uh, Dodgers. And so I'm kind of, I don't consider them enemies, but I'm kind of out there in enemy territory because anything I say or do, they possibly could write about you know uh, if they hear me swearing when somebody drops a fly ball or something like that they're gonna be oh yeah even the PA announcer you know whatever <laughs> exactly yeah they, they run out of material you better be careful you're on deck yeah but when we were in our booth the four of us together shoulder to shoulder for 80 90 games a season we had our own culture in there and our own jokes and inside stuff that some some stuff from way seasons past but you know little little things that we that we did to to make the long season go by and, and have fun doing it. And so I miss I miss that, you know, closeness and camaraderie. Back to you calling Joe Davis in on the mound, I can o- I can just hear him. Well, Oral looks like I'm coming in to pitch the eighth inning. Did he did he mention <laughs> that on air? I don't know. I don't know. I was so mortified when it happened that I I I and and you know it, it either you either say oh, correction that's Joe Kelly, mm-hmm. um, let it go, but yeah, yeah or let you or you let it go. And and there's been there's been times when you know maybe I I jumped a batter or something and put Chris Taylor in instead of Austin Barnes or something like that. And then I'll, then when that happened, I, I remember saying something like, "Now batting Austin Barnes," you know, like <laughs> not now he's batting. Sorry about that. But I remember Joe Kelly, that after that happened, he came out and he had a good outing. And he was able to, to three outs, have a clean inning and whatnot. And after that, he kind of did better. And I think I, I remember when it – the only thing I do remember about it happened, Justin Turner looked at him and kind of 
shrugged his shoulders like, I don't know what the fuck that guy's doing. <laughs> um, but it worked. And, 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 and they had a little, they had a little smile between them, a little laugh. Maybe it kind of broke some of the tension. And, and Joe Kelly was on his way to being an effective reliever, which is what... Look at you, man. You're like the uh, Vince Scully when he called out Kurt Gibson and Gibson was listening in the, uh, in the locker room that he's he's done for the day. And then he comes out and he's like, fuck that guy, man. I'm coming out. I'm going to hit this home run and win yeah. this game. Look at you. Give it power, right? If, if only we had as much power as we, we think we do. Like, you know, I, I when we get on a winning streak and something, I'm wearing the same socks every day. Just, you know, that kind of stupid baseball superstition stuff. Hey, talk about Vin. You were there for the latter part of his career, right? Yeah. How was that? Was he around? Did you ever talk to him? Oh, yeah. I talked to him almost every day, uh, mm. usually in the bathroom. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, all us broadcasters uh, don't get very many bathroom breaks. So so I would always run into to Vin pregame in, in the bathroom. And we would chat about things. And I'd say, oh, hey, Dan, after this, I'm, I'm going to, to Cabo San Lucas. Oh, Cabo San Lucas. <laughs> I love that. You know, and so we would chat about what's going on in our lives. And he was just a beautiful, beautiful man. Um, my favorite story for me about Vince Scully was my very first day. I show up and it was I think it was opening day or it might have been like the, the preseason freeway series against the Angels or something. And there's Vin. First person I run into, I walk into the press mm. box and boom, I almost bump right into Vin. I say, mm. oh, uh, uh, Mr. Scully, I'm, I'm Todd Lott. And he's like, I know who you are, Todd Lott. You're mm. our new VA announcer. Great oh, to meet you. Gosh. And I'm like, whoa, um, uh, hey, if you have any tips, no, nonsense. No, he said, not at all. You got this. And, and, and just went on his way. And in five words, he said to me, or, or two sentences or something, he made me feel welcomed. He made me feel acknowledged, recognized, and, and he also made me feel confident, like you got this. And so it was just it was just amazing. It was amazing. And I'd actually met Ben before because I, I used to go up there and sing the anthem. So I, when you go up there, you go in with Nancy B., the previous organist, who was so awesome. Um, you go up there and you, you do a rehearsal. And Vin was always walking around the press box and and he would he would stop and listen to my to my rendition, and he would like look at me, and then and then he was kind of give me a thumbs up or something like that. And so I met him one time during that. But to come in there as as a as a colleague and uh, you know as a fellow broadcaster, it felt really great to feel recognized and acknowledged by the great Vince Scully. And he that's the kind of guy he was. He just was he was wonderful. And so I got to be there for a few seasons with him. Uh, one time I, I got up the guts to ask him to sign a ball for me, which I have proudly displayed in my my studio here. And then at uh, the last year he was there, got to go into the booth with him and take a photo. And I look like a complete nudge in the in the photo, but it's a picture of me and Vinny together. And he has always been my favorite Dodger. He Because he, he and I kind of do the same thing in a way. I'm, I, I'm nothing, I can't hold a candle to Vince Scully, but I always felt a kinship with him and the way he the way he worked and just the way he was i could i observed the way he was around everybody and it was it it kind of has informed what i consider to be the way to treat people no matter who they are and i think the real judge of somebody's character is how they treat people that they don't have to be nice to and i know that's kind of a simple kind of a cliche thing but i i really think that's an important way to go through your life is to uh treat people well treat everybody well i know people that no, whatever. I I just, I just think that it, it Vin Vin kind of sh- showed how how beautiful and effective that can be, and I I just really admire that. I've always really admired him, so I I really treasure those few seasons with him. But I also really enjoy hanging out with Charlie and Rick and Oral. And Joe is so studious that you don't really see Joe a lot around the press box. Uh, you maybe see him come out and get some food. But he's in there, you know, crunching numbers. And But Oral and I have some co- pretty cool conversations also in the bathroom as he's putting on his TV makeup. And I rib him about putting TV makeup on. And it's kind of like, you know, he's, he's, he's a former ball player. So he has all those those like little ball playerisms and, and, and stuff that I can really relate to having played baseball all my life. And so I really enjoy hanging out with him and talking to him. And he's, he, you know, just all those guys are just really, really great guys. I, I think we can talk about this for hours of just broadcasting and your stories with Vin. I can't, I can't even imagine you just walking in the booth as a first timer a rookie, if you will, and Vin knows exactly who you are. You don't have to introduce yourself. I mean, that just the stature of Vin 
And to a guy who just walks in the room for the first time is just, man, he, there is nobody better than Vin Scully. Nobody. Yeah, he's, he's you know, he's a, he's a godly man. And he, he walks that walk as well. Talking about the bathroom stuff, this is things that people do not realize that in the booth, they don't realize that you guys only have two minutes, one, you know, maybe a minute and a half. And most of the time, the middle of the innings, sometimes you have things to say. You have to get on the mic and, and announce something. So then you can't leave to go to the bathroom. Dude, these hours are two and a half to four hours long. What do you do with the bathroom break when you don't have enough time to go? You don't have one. You don't get one. And you, you know, you hold your water. If there was an emergency of some kind, I'm sure I would get up and, and hopefully not during a Dodger at bat. So um, my story about that is, yeah, there are no bathroom breaks. Usually it's not a problem for me. But in the third game of the World Series in 2018, I think the game went for, you know, I don't know, 18, 19 innings. Yeah, 19. Yeah. Yeah. The longest World Series game ever. Yeah. At World Series, there's always a huge amount of pregame pomp and circumstance. A lot of fans don't don't even get to the ballpark because they're caught in traffic or they're working or whatever. So they don't see a lot of the pregame stuff. And there's always like ceremonial first pitches, recognitions for law enforcement night or pride night or 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 whatever. I do a lot of my work during pregame, Re, you know, doing recognitions, moments of silence, the anthem, the time for Dodger baseball, all this stuff that goes on. So I was in my seat that night on the third game of the World Series in 2018 for practically nine hours. Nine hours without a bathroom break. Oh, And I kind of take that as a real badge of courage. or it's, I'm, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I was able to do that because when it got to the point where, hey, I got I to gotta take a leak, it was so late in the game that anything anything the Dodgers did could have ended it. And I would have like been taking a leak and, and to Max Muncy, it's a walk-off home run that wins the game, which is what happened. So I just somehow, I don't know how I did it. It was a superhuman feat of, uh, of water holding or something and uh, was able to get through the entire game to, without a bathroom break. So that's just, that's just part of the, part of the deal. I, I know that I've, I've heard tales of, of uh, other broadcasters or, or people who, you know, who got sick or, or, or threw up in a, in a trash can or peed in a bottle or did, did something like that. I, I don't, but that's never happened to me. And I'm, I'm, thankful for that so i hope hopefully i'm not ruining my my bladder by holding my water for for hours at a time you know 90 games a year half six to eight months out of the year but it's uh it's just part of the part of the deal you know i like you said we don't have much time during the inning breaks and a lot of times i'm i'm doing something either not as much since covid but during regular years you know we have all kinds of little games that we're playing or, you know, the lucky row from Melissa's produce or all this different, you know, different uh, sponsorship stuff that, that happens as well as the things like, you know, introducing the seventh inning stretch and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's just, there's just no time. There really is no time. How far is the bathroom from where you sit? Too far. It's too far. It's all the way, you know, out of the breath, out of the press box or, you know, and then through the little kitchen area and back into the, the restroom. So it's, it's, uh, it seems like a mile away when, when you only have 30 seconds or something. So, um, but so, you, you got to make sure your voice is good throughout the game. You got to be drinking something, right? I do. I usually have a thing of water and I take, you know, take small sips of it as I need to. Um, I try to time my, my bathroom break so that I have the, the, the least amount of time, you know, before the game. It takes a little bit of planning, but that helps a lot, you know, and, and I try not to drink a whole lot of coffee or something like that before the game. So it works out pretty well. But I, I think somebody that, you know, I know people, you know, even young guys that they're, they seem to have to pee all the time. <laughs> I don't know if they could handle it. I don't know if they could do the job. <laughs> uh, yeah, you put your bladder it through takes a special. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a special bladder, Mike, <laughs> to be a PA announcer. You have to have some intestinal fortitude. <laughs> you know, you don't have to name any names, okay? But... The drinking in the booth has got to go on, right, with these broadcasters. Don't name names. You don't have to tell me who they are. But it you have to experience that, no? You mean like drinking alcohol yeah. or something? Yeah. I've never I've never seen that. I've never I've never uh, and and you know, we don't from where I sit, I don't sit anywhere near where the broadcasters are. Our booth was on one side of the press box and and then all the broadcast booths, radio and TV are on the third base side of home plate. And we were on the first base side of home plate. So first of all, we can't see in there. 
our our Dodger Vision area is in a totally separate area from where the broadcast TV area, TV and radio areas are. So I would I would never see that. But I've never I've never heard of that. I've never observed anybody that seemed to be impaired in any way. Yeah, never never experienced any of that. And you know that might be because these days that kind of stuff isn't doesn't happen so much anymore. You you know, but when I started radio, guys were sitting there smoking cigarettes <laughs> yeah. in the booth. And yeah, they had big full ashtrays well, and they were yeah. reading the news and rah, 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 doing the news. And but it's a different world out there now. So I I don't know. I mean, there it's hard to it's hard to say whether that kind of thing goes on i i wouldn't imagine i could i couldn't do my job impaired in that way and i, I like to have a, a whiskey after work and that thing but but i would never think of showing up to work that way and and it, I, it would just you could hear it i think you just can hear it in people's voices when they they've had a few drinks i mean guys like harry Carey got better when they drank you know he was funnier he was he was funner to listen to Maybe that's because he he was a play by play guy and he was expected to be colorful and that kind of thing. But as far as being a, a PA announcer, or I, I just couldn't picture Joe Davis or Oral. Uh, sometimes you, sometimes it sounds like they're just a couple of friends sitting and you know sitting around shooting the shit, talking baseball. But I can't imagine anybody doing their job that way. But it might happen. I, hey, all all of, everything happens. So. Yeah, I just don't have any experience of it, so I can't uh, I can't tell you any colorful stories about that. Talking about the job, do you ever pinch yourself? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, damn, how, how lucky are you to to be able to, you know, like I like I said earlier, it is a job, but I genuinely am excited to go to work when I go and I walk through there. And I say, man, I have I really like what I do. I really love what I do. hopefully it shows that I like what I do and it's it's just uh it is it's a it's kind of a dream come true and it's a dream that I never really dreamed <laughs> maybe it's like one of those things you didn't know that that how much you would love doing something until you actually did it and so it, and it's the kind of thing that I feel like I could do for a long time I don't get tired of, of, of watching baseball I love the game I love the players I love watching these guys do what they do it, it's amazing how hard the game is how much skill it takes and how good they are at it and how, how clutch they are when they're able to come through. And it's a game of failure. It's a game of inches. And it's a beautiful game that, that you know, you can take it as deep as you want to. It can, you can just watch the game and be a very casual fan or you can really think about the game within the game, all the, all the mental aspect of it, all that strategy and all that stuff. And so it, it, it's so cool on so many levels. So, yeah, uh, I, there there are times, several times throughout the season when I just kind of, I'm sitting there, and the, the nice, cool breeze is blowing, and the the sun is 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 setting. And I mean, the other night there was a sunset at Dodger Stadium. I think I posted something on Instagram or Twitter of the sunset, and it was just it was like what Vinny used to call cotton candy skies, and and it was just breathtaking, breathtakingly beautiful. Well, talking about that, Todd, let's just get the elephant out of the room. Um, you being such a pro, people didn't realize what you went through during the pandemic. The Astros were playing their home games at Dodger Stadium. You were the PA announcer for those games. You had to pretend you were their home team's PA announcer. How difficult was that to pull off? It was very, very, very difficult. And we gave them we gave them a good show. It was the Ace Astros Division Series uh, last year, 2020, at Dodger Stadium because Dodger Stadium cut the park with the two sites for the American League division series and, and championship series. And so we had to we had to do the Ace Astros. And I was like, oh, that just oh my God, I can't believe I gotta do that. But we had to be professional and it was a major league baseball thing and our bosses said no, we got we gotta do the best we can. But one of my bosses, the executive producer, was like, hey, I understand. I understand that you, you know, and so for the A's, when they were the home team, you know, I, I gave them some love. I had some fun with their names. But for the Astros, I couldn't bring myself to give them too much enthusiasm. I kind of played it straight down the middle where it was it was not like Jose Altuve. It was, you know, but, it, but it wasn't like Jose Altuve, you know, it wasn't like that either. But I had to give them a little something. And, and that was difficult. It was really hard. And it, it felt like. I just wanted to be with with my Dodgers. They, they were out in, in Texas uh, at Globe Life Park, where where they kind of made that their home park for the whole playoff run. And I was missing that experience. Uh, I was missing that playoff run for the Dodgers. And there was just something about last year that I knew they were going to win. Uh, you know, I remember when, when Dave Roberts said, "This is our year. This is our year." 
And I had felt that this is our year a lot earlier than that. And, but of course, obviously he, you know, having to say that in public is like, you know, that was a big deal, but I really felt like they were going all the way and I, I so much wanted to be there, but I couldn't. And that was, that was hard. And, and then the whole Astros series and that game went to five games. So we had to do the whole, mm. we had to do the whole thing. Don't, don't those guys still owe you a dinner? The Astro guys? They did. They did say that that we did such a good job for them that they were going to buy our whole crew dinner. But I have yet to uh, yet to see that happen. Yeah. They're they're going to um, be rolling around here in August, so make make sure they uh, they pay the debt. Yeah, right. All right. Well, I just I would rather see us just beat up on them. You know, beat up on them real good. And uh, you know, it was interesting the other night when uh, the the Diamondbacks were in town and Josh Reddick, who was a former Dodger. You know, and then and then went to the to the Astros and won a world championship with the Astros. He was out in right field, and and the fans who have not had a chance to vent their spleens on the Astros players took it all out on Josh Reddick that night. It was kind of funny and kind of nice to see for a while, and then I started to feel sorry for him. And I was like, I can't believe I'm feeling sorry for this guy who gaslighted the Dodger fans on his way out of town. And then played for a group of cheaters to to steal a World Series championship away from the Dodgers. But I actually did feel sorry for him. And you know, Dieter, our organist, and and DJ Severe were were trolling him musically uh, in a very subtle way. You know, playing things like uh, Ace of Base, I Saw the Sign. You know, different different things like that that some people picked up on. And I'm not sure Josh Reddick felt it, but when people were saying F Reddick, F Reddick, you know, I'm sure he got the message and. Even even had to come up and bat in two straight innings. Like I introduced him, and he got booed roundly. And then somebody tried to steal a base and got thrown out. And then he had so he had to come up the next inning and get booed roundly very shortly thereafter. So I kind of felt for the guy, and I felt like you know I'd rather see them get on George Springer, or Jose Altuve, or or Yuli Gurriel, or any of those guys, and Bregman, any of those guys, they're, they're all good players, but they participated in something that I just, I can't believe that they weren't punished more soundly for. Well, that's the thing. I think it would have felt a lot better, right? If they got punished for what they deserved. Right. So, you know, the fans feel like, Hey, if MLB's not going to punish them, we're going to punish them. And I guess they were in New York recently and we're just, it was just brutal. And you know how New Yorkers are. So man, that's got to be rough. I think the Boston fans are probably a little bit more understanding since their manager was was part of that. And the Boston, Boston was accused of some of that kind of activity, too. So yeah, I'm, I, it's going to be a fun series when they when they come to town. And uh, I hope the Dodgers are playing well and hope the Dodgers just beat up on them for two days or however many games the series is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a few more for you, and we'll let you go. I got a baseball question for you. Shifts. What is your opinion on shifts? They seem to work. It's like uncanny how sometimes a guy will rip one up the middle, and boom, there's the shortstop right there waiting for it. I'm I'm kind of an old school guy, but at the same time, I understand that you know baseball is a game of percentages, and the shift plays the percentages. So in that sense, I think it's a, a sound strategic move, unless you tell teams we are not shifting anymore. You have to leave your players where they are. If they're out of position, that's not good. But that's not probably not going to happen. So last year, I kind of enjoyed the, the universal DH. I also enjoy the strategy of National League Baseball because of the pitcher hitting. So I'm, I'm on the fence about the DH. I don't, lo- I don't love it, but I, don't, I wouldn't hate it either. I do not like the extra innings thing. I, I, the man starting out at second base, I think that's... I think it's that's bogus um, and, and and artificial. It favors the team that has the most speed, which is I, I guess okay. But I just I don't like it. I'm glad that they don't they wouldn't use that in the postseason, and I hope they get rid of it. But I'm I'm not sure about the numbers of of uh, how it's been able to reduce the time of of some of these uh, extra inning games. And maybe it has, and maybe that's a good thing for pitching staffs and so forth. But uh, I'm not really in favor of that one. The shift, I, I don't mind. What I don't like is when we go into a shift and the pitcher throws the ball outside mm-hmm. or something and allows mm-hmm. and allows the guy to beat the shift. So if you're going to shift over and, and play the guy to pull, don't throw an outside pitch. You know, come on. 
Exactly. Or, I mean, look, I know the adjustment for players, it's hard. They probably have to see a shrink for five months just to go the other way because they haven't for, for their entire careers. But, dude, you got a whole off season. You've got all of spring training. Like, can you just kind of maybe figure out? I know the game's hard. I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy. But there are times when you get pitched outside and everybody's shifted over to the right side. Can you maybe go to left field? Like, just try to at least? Yeah, yeah, I know. And you see teams that, that do it pretty well. Uh, there's been a couple teams that come into Dodger Stadium. Uh, I think the Giants did it pretty well when they, when they beat, took three out of four from us. But also, it's also part. It's a pitcher's responsibility, so they'll they'll pound the guy in to make him pull the ball. If he's going to hit it, he's going to have to pull the ball. So that's where the shift can really can really come into play. But you know, if the pitcher has no command and he can't hit his spot, he wants to throw him inside, but throws it out over the plate, and then this guy's just going to poke it into you know. If he's a left, he's going to poke it into left field and uh, go the other way with it. So. You know, that's all about executing. And uh, I see guys in because you know, I, I watch batting practice. And I see guys working on hitting it the other way. They'll 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 go through a couple rounds where they're 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 working on something. They're trying to go the other way. They're trying to hit it to all fields, and then they have a, a round where they're just trying to jack the ball out of the park, get some good backspin on it, and, and put the ball in the air. And so you know that's all part of of what the analytics have, have told teams that this hey this is this is what's going to give you your best chance of success, and it, it seems to work. So. I don't think it's going anywhere. So I, I, I'm cool with it. And I, and I, I like all the analytics. I like the, the numbers. I, I, I like, I like all that stuff. I think uh, they're really trying to make the game more fun to watch. And part of that is this, this what's going on right now. I, I haven't read the full story about it, but you know, the report, uh, major league baseball about substances the pitchers are using to get more spin rate. And I think that's going to be the hugest, uh, story uh coming out of the 2021 season is is either some kind of a crackdown as we speak which may have already come down and i just haven't haven't read about it yet i think it's a 10 game Um, suspension if they find any substance right on a picture and yesterday garrett cole was out and in the first couple innings he gave up five runs so yeah that was very interesting yeah yeah, that's a guy that's uh, he's unhittable most of the time so yeah, uh, to what extent Dodger pitchers might be using some of that stuff, I don't know. You know, I like to think, well, they're Dodgers. They're not going to try to do that. But everybody's going for a com- competitive advantage. And and so we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. I think that's going to be a real big thing because offense is obviously down this year. And uh, home runs are down. Strikeouts, well, they've been going up for years. But pitchers are really dominating to the point where they're saying, oh, geez, do we need to lower the mound? You know, they were actually thinking of, all kinds of different things and you know hey chicks dig the long ball people love to see offense and you know there's fewer and fewer people that love to see pitchers duels and you know we've had so many no hitters already this year that it seems like something's going on so it's more than just the ball it might be what's on the ball it's yeah. hard to say yeah when a guy was uh, three and 16 last year throws a no hitter the year after <laughs> there's gotta be something going on I think one yeah, of the uh, Mariners yeah. threw a threw a no hitter. He was three and sixteen the previous year. So, Todd, wow. what would you tell a, a young broadcaster who's trying to get in your field? Your story seems like it was, it was. Uh, I mean, you you went through it. Obviously, you had some radio experience, but man, you ju- you fell into the right person. You know, it seems like the right guy told you to go approach the Dodgers for a gig like this. But will you tell a guy to, who's kind of starting, who wants to do what you're doing, to do it? Uh, at whatever level you can do it, do it. If it's calling your your high school games, uh, if they have a PA kind of situation uh, in high school or college, start somewhere and work your way and, and never give up. If that's what you want to do, do it. Actually, you know, don't don't say that. Oh, I, I want to be an announcer or I want to get the skills that you need. Working in radio is is a great training ground because deadlines are so intense and. You're live, and, and that's that's really important to be live and to be able to to deliver copy or to deliver whatever statements you need to make in a clear and, and comprehensible fashion. To have that skill is a skill that can be developed. You know, obviously, PA announcers are, are thought of as having a certain type of voice, and so that's something you, I guess, you can't teach. 
But, you know, there are more and more women PA announcers now in Major League Baseball. The A's uh, are using one, and Giants have had one for many years now. There are now openings uh, in that way. So maybe it's not all about just having a huge voice. It might be just about being a really good announcer. So uh, I would just say start early, start wherever you can start, and stay with it. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're not good enough, if this is something you want to do. By doing it, it will, and by getting on that path, it will lead you probably to where you are supposed to be anyway. You know, I got on a path, not really sure where it would take me, and it took me here. And so I'm so happy that, you know, I spent that, all that time working on my chops and so forth so that when when the, when the opportunity came up, I was ready for it. And so that's, I think that's so very important. You know, if you say you're a singer, sing. Find a way to sing. If you're an artist, create art. That might not be very uh, sage advice, but I think it's very sound as far as just start doing what you what you love doing and, and never and never stop for anybody uh, if 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 it's what makes you happy because that's what you want to be doing. You don't want to you know you don't want to be working in some some job that's just just about making money unless making money makes you feel really good. And for some people that that's true. But if if you have a burning desire to, to be a, a PA announcer in, in whatever sport it is, find that sport and start doing it in, in whatever capacity you can. And I'm, I was very lucky. I don't think my story is, is very common. You know, the guy that works for the San Diego Padres had been in the minor leagues, I think for eight seasons calling games back East and stuff and got an opportunity with, uh, with the big, the big club in San Diego. And so he got his major league chance and was able, was ready to take it. He'd been in the minors, you know, just like a player goes through the minors. He, he went through it too. And I think that's how most guys get to the big league positions. I don't know. I was, I was lucky or I was just meant to be that guy. I don't know. I know that for most young people, just start doing it at whatever level, whichever sport you like, maybe you do in all sports. Maybe you'll find one that really is, is the good one for you. And, you know, keep your mind open and, and for, for different opportunities that, that might uh, help you develop your skills and talents and you might find another path that leads you on that that is the one that's going to be the most fulfilling for you but stay with it yeah stay with it yeah, that's what i've learned too you know you just just do it just do it worst, mm -hmm. worst case it doesn't happen at least you found out about it at least you found out it didn't happen and you'll feel better about it you're one of 30 you're one of 30 todd it's it's uh you've got the best seat in the house you've got the dream office at least 90 times a year but it's still a part-time job for you right so how do you fill your plate in the off season i have a, a voiceover business that i created a few years ago after the world series i said it's, it's time for me to capitalize on whatever notoriety i might have as a dodger pa announcer to build a business doing voiceover work and it's a very very competitive field you know it's very in some ways insular but with technology now and then the pandemic, so many people created home studios. So there's a lot of people saying, oh, maybe I'll just do voiceover work from home and stuff. And so that's kind of uh, diluted the waters of, of the voiceover industry. But I've worked hard to build a business. I've got agents uh, in Los Angeles, New York, in Minneapolis. I've got a management team that helps me. I've got certain clients that I work for on a regular basis. In fact, today I'm doing I'm doing something for Ranker. I, I, narr I do narrations for for some of their their channels, Graveyard Shift, uh, where it's a it's a great show called Screen to Screen. It's the the true stories behind your favorite horror movies, and I'm the uh, narrator for it. I have a lot of fun doing that. I do a lot of the editing of the script and trying to make them sound really cool and creepy. And and I do commercials, and I've got a couple of national commercials that are running right now, which which are lucrative. And so uh, I'm just trying to build my business, build my brand during the off season and during the season. So during the season, I'm, I'm really quite busy. And like right now, when the Dodgers are out of town, it was a it was a nice relief. So I could really focus on on some of the other things I'm doing. You know, several auditions a day. I'm doing an audition today for Acura and 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 for a new TV show promo that's that's uh, that's coming up and and some political ads I do. And so you know, it's slowly building and it's something i said okay I, this is something that that i do and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let anybody tell me i can't do it and so it's been building and building over the past few years and it's been very uh, uh very good for me and uh i i, I know that i'm in, uh, in the right place you know i'm in the right place doing what i should be doing and it feels great that's awesome that's great to hear 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna end it with this. I'm a diehard Dodger fan. The lifelong dream was, of course, to be a Dodger as a kid. My first name is Mike. My last name is Gabriel. My favorite number is 32. I can play some shortstop. Can you make a kid's dream come true and pretend I'm coming to the plate and give me my 15 seconds? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, baseball fans of all ages. Leading off the Dodger half of the first inning, the shortstop, number 32, Mike Gabriel. Ooh-wee. I'm going to play that every time I go to bed now, man. I'm going to sleep like a baby. <laughs> You're the man. Now going to bed, number 32, Mike Gabriel. <laughs> now brushing his teeth, number 32, Mike Gabriel. It's a good day, Mike. That's the It's better than Max Muncy now, right? That's number one now? Well, it's up there. You're up there, my friend. Todd, you're the man. Is that not the best way to end it? Is that not the best treat of all for me? <laughs> uh, he's super cool. Super cool to do that for me, too. Laid back guy. Really enjoyed my conversation with him. I, in the middle of that conversation, I was telling myself, I can probably go for three hours three four hours and just kind of sit down and talk with this guy for a really long time because we've got some similarities Uh, i think we both enjoy broadcasting we both enjoy the microphone but we both really have a deep passion for baseball and the dodgers so uh, that's always fun to talk to people and guys like that so he was open he was cool that was a lot of fun i hope you enjoyed it as well that was episode 55 so follow me on the social media stuff on the internets, Miked Up Pod on Instagram, and that's where most of the content lies. And email the show, connect at mikeduppod.com. This is Miked Up Pod. I am Mike Gabriel. Until next time, folks, no wasted days. Let's go. Let's go.